Uh, we meant by the assignment was uh, that come out of verses 1 through 4 was the assignment that God had given Samuel to go to Bethlehem and anoint the new king of Israel. Uh, point number two, we called the audience, and the audience was those who was, was present there. We know the elders of the city were there or the town. We know that Jesse was there and his sons. And or, or up, up to point two this morning, all of the sons except for one. Tonight we're going to see uh, in point number three called the anointing that the third son is invited to the party, so to speak. So we're not going to read you the whole chapter again, but we are going to start in verse seven and just read down to verse 13. And that's, we're not going to cover all those verses, but just, I don't want to pick up midstream no more than I have to. For those that may be tuning in at home and going, what? What's he talking about? Point one and two. When was that? You know, so um, maybe we'll just uh, entice them to want to tune in next week. What do you think? Maybe? I don't know. We'll see. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not uh, look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep, and Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent, brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and pray that God would bless the reading of his word. Dear Lord, uh, we do bow before you again tonight, Lord. Uh, thanking you for the day that you've allowed us to have and God for the, 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 the fellowship that we've experienced in your house today and, and God just, Lord, just being able to gather and to worship you and fellowship with other believers, God, what a blessing. May we never take that for granted. And Lord, tonight as we think about just the continuation of the sermon from this morning about how you don't see the way we see. God, you see in a totally different way. You're able, God, to see uh, inside of each and every one of us. God, what is at the core of who we are? And God, no matter how impressive we may look sometimes on the outside, God, if you're not pleased with this, when you look at our heart, God, then we need to make some changes. And so, Lord, tonight that I pray that you would help us to be the people you'd have us to be. I pray that your word would speak into our heart. God, I pray that it would convict us. And, and God, um, help us to be the, the, the men and the women that pleases you. So God, we ask that you bless the reading of your word tonight. God, may you bless this time that we have uh, together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now tonight, again, we're going to pick up on the anointing. And, and although we started in verse 7, we're not really going to go back all the way to 7. We're going to kind of pick up in verse 11 here. We may back, we'll back up in a moment and probably hit something in verse 10 briefly just to make a point. But 11 is where we want to start. Uh, again, we see if you were to read in chapter 16 
at the very beginning, which we're not going to go back and do all that. We know how Samuel ended up in Bethlehem. It's because of God rejecting Saul as the king, and he's sending him to Bethlehem to anoint the new king of Israel, which is going to be a son of Jesse. Now, we see here that as Samuel strikes out for Bethlehem, all he knows, according to verse 1, is that I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. That's all he knows. He knows nothing else, okay? So he goes there to the house of Jesse, and they're getting ready to, uh, to have the feast, so to speak. And we're at the part now where, where he's trying to decide who is that son, okay? And so I don't know if you've ever stepped out before or not. I'm sure you have to follow God in faith when God says, you know, I need you to do this. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. You just know God said do it, and that's what you're supposed to do. But about halfway through it, you're going, God, I wish you'd go ahead and give me some idea how this is going to work out because at this point, I'm confused. My faith's starting to waver a little bit. I'm not sure what we're doing here. I imagine, uh, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I can almost imagine that Samuel is at that point. He goes up there, you know, he talks to Jesse. Seven sons come before him. And, and of course, you know, we talked about this morning, uh, Eliab, the oldest one. Samuel says, that's got to be the one. That has to be him. God says, nope, that's not him. Don't get caught up on appearances. And then it tells us that Abinadab, the next to the oldest, Jesse sends him before. That's not him either, according to God. And, uh, of course, then Shema comes by, the third oldest, and neither has the Lord chosen this one. And so, you know, after about two times of running them through there, Samuel's probably backing up going, okay, God, I know you said that there's a son that's going to come from the house of Jesse. I've seen them all twice, Lord. You know, any time now would be a good time to tell me which one of these you want me to anoint. And what's, what's interesting is right here in verse 11 where Samuel makes his comment. He looks at Jesse and says, Are all of your young men here? Is this them? Is this all of them? And then Jesse says, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And notice what Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Uh, you know, we start off at the beginning of the sermon this morning, in the beginning of the chapter, that Samuel is going by stature. Okay, but now you kind of get the idea that he's probably thinking, okay, I've seen the biggest guy. I've seen the next biggest and oldest guy. I've even seen the third one, and God has not picked any of these guys. And you tell me, because he's probably thinking, I've seen all the sons. God, I don't know. And then when he looks at him, and it probably wasn't like of, is this all your sons? I could almost hear Samuel going, is this all the sons you got? Uh, is, this is all of them? And then, of course, Jesse probably goes, oh, no, 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 I got one more. He, he's the young guy, but he's, he's just tending to the sheep, you know? And then I could almost, I mean, I don't, I have a good imagination, okay? I don't try to read more into it than what it is, but I could just almost see Samuel going, we're going to need him, okay? Like, you, you need to go get that guy, okay? Because now Samuel's going, okay, you know, we don't have them all here yet. But then Samuel's got to be thinking, this has got to be one special kid, you know, because he's the youngest, and he knows that God said, and Samuel, if he's learned anything in his life, God is faithful, at this point in his life, I believe we can read in Scripture and come to the conclusion that Samuel realizes how faithful God is. If God says he has got a son of the house of Jesse, then that's got to be him. He's the only one left. 
And so he's probably thinking, I, I got to see this kid. I really do. You know, so I could almost see this smile kind of come over his face a little bit like, we're not going to sit down until you go get him. I just want you to know that, you know. Um, so you could almost, you could almost see Jesse turn around and I don't know if he told one of the other sons or, or the next to the oldest or next to the youngest or whatever, but he, he probably said, run, go get David. Tell him he needs to get on up to the house as quick as he can. You know, you could see that going on. One of the sons or friends or whatever runs out there and says, Hey, Je hey, you know, hey David, uh, your dad needs you at the house, you know, or whatever, you know, like we, like we would do. And David's probably like, okay, I'm coming, you know. And so he beats it on up there. But here's something I want you to, to note that I find interesting. Again, I'm not trying to read more into it than what it is. But it is um, it's interesting to me. That when Samuel looked at Jesse and he says, is this all of your sons? It's easy. He could have easily have said, well, I've got one more. You know, but he's, you know, but, but the, what he said is, I, yeah, I have one more son, but he's, I mean, more or less it's kind of like, but he's the youngest of all of them and he's just tending to the sheep. It's almost kind of like, I'm not saying he was belittling David. I don't want to read that into there at all. But it, oh, listen, the fact that he's not even at the house, you get what I'm saying? In other words, when, when Samuel says, I need your sons, and he got everybody except little David, he probably found David just to be, well, he's little, he's tending to the sheep, just leave him where he's at. Somebody's got to do that job, and it may as well be the youngest. You know, the other ones did it when they were growing up. It's David's job now. But here's what I want you to know is the fact that he pointed out that he's the youngest and that he's tending sheep. It seems that David's own dad didn't even see him as a kingly prospect. Now, I grant you, I know that Jesse doesn't really know what Samuel's there for, okay? So we need to get that. Jesse doesn't know that Samuel's there to, to anoint a new king. I, that's what I gather anyway. It doesn't say yes or no, but I'm assuming that Samuel didn't come in waving a banner going, I'm here to get the new king. You know, I don't think that was taking place. It had to be kind of hush-hush. But, again... He didn't find him significant enough to be there. And I like this statement that Charles Swindoll makes about David. He says, talking about, um, talking about maybe Samuel, because Samuel didn't start off this way. But it says, oh, for the ability to see beyond the obvious, to see beyond the bad track record, to see beyond someone's age or the size or the level of intelligence. To see worth and value down deep inside. That's the kind of vision that Samuel, with God's help, finally demonstrates at this point. And, you know, after I read that statement this week by Charles Wendell, I, I, I couldn't help but think, I wish I had that. I don't know about anybody else, but do you ever, and maybe I'm the only guilty person in here, but do you ever have a tendency to judge somebody sometimes by outward appearances? I do. And I don't like that I do. Uh, I don't do it all the time, but I do sometimes. I, sometimes we'll look at people, and I think we all do that to a certain degree, but we have to be mindful. It's not what we see in a person. It's what God sees in a person. It's what he sees that they can be if they just... That's kind of like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he was, before he converted to Christianity, when he was just Saul, he was as opposite of Christianity as anybody could be. And he did it all in the name of religion. He was having Christians persecuted, killed, locked up. But I believe when God looked at Saul, he said, but I see what he can be. 
He'll be the greatest apostle that'll ever walk the face of the earth. He'll be the one who will write more of the New Testament than anybody else. He will be on fire for me. He'll be beaten for me. He'll be locked up for me. He'll be shipwrecked for me if I can get him going in the right direction. What an influence he'll be. And matter of fact, even after he was converted, he was saved on the road to Damascus, even some of the disciples didn't want to have anything to do with him. They were scared of him. I would have been too. He just had Stephen stoned to death not many chapters before that. I'd have been like, it's a trick. Leave that guy alone. No, he's truly a Christian now. Well, whatever, but it ain't going to happen in my life. Go on. Get out of here. I wouldn't have had nothing to do with him. But the thing is, Saul, before he, uh, God saw something in Saul that he knew he could use down the road. It made me think today, uh, and this is, might not be that big of a deal to you, but it was kind of a big deal to me. Um, many, many years ago, when Austin came through playing Little League Baseball, uh, the first year, he wanted me to coach him, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to. And I did it for two years, and, and, uh, but I really didn't want to. Not that I didn't want to coach him. I didn't want to deal with the parents. That's the part I didn't want to deal with. And, um, and so, but there was this, my first year coaching, there was this one little boy, and I won't call his name, but he was on our team. And he was a little rough around the edges. Very few people liked this little boy because he was always in trouble. He stayed in trouble at school. He, um, and, and the mom stayed on the defensive because a lot of people gave him a hard time. He's rough as a corn cob. You know who I'm talking about? Play catcher for me? Anyway, I won't call his name because y'all might know him. I don't really know exactly where in Brantley County he lived. But I remember the uh, practices... I could tell he was a little less than. He didn't have as much as some of the other kids. I could tell that. But I wasn't really sure about his talents, and I was trying to figure out where to put everybody on the team. And I remember one day, I couldn't find a catcher. I didn't have anybody tough enough to play catcher. But I looked at that kid, and I thought, that kid's tough enough to play catcher because, you know, you could tell he kind of grew up on, on the rough side. And so... I pulled him to the side one day after practice, and I said, hey, come here a second. It might have been after the first game because we had a game, and our catching our ability was horrible. We were missing most of the balls back there. And I called him to the side after, after the, I think it might have been after a game, and I said, let me talk to you a second. And I said, have you ever played catcher before? And he goes, no, sir. I said, would you like to try? Well, in the process of me having the conversation, here comes the mom, and she jumps all over me. I mean, gets all over me because she thought I was getting on to her son, and I wasn't. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, stop a second. And I said, uh, what's the problem? She goes, what'd he do now? Blah, blah, And she just went off on me. And I said, I'm not fussing at him at all. And she goes, well, what do you want for him? I said, I want to see if he'd play catcher for me. And she goes, oh, really? I said, yeah, I need a catcher. We don't have a good catcher. I said, have you ever played catcher before? He says, no, sir. I said, would you like to? Yes, sir. I handed you the catcher's me, and I said, take that home. Do not lose it. It's not mine. You must bring that back. Uh, I said, it's the only one we have. I said, but take it home, get used to it, and come back. Tell me if you think you can catch with that. So he comes back, and um, I put him back there, and he was a natural. He was an absolutely natural at catcher. But what made him so good at, good, good at it is he wasn't scared. He was not scared to get hit with the ball. The bat swinging in front of his face didn't bother him. He got beat up back there, but he kept balls in front of him. He was fast and quick. He ended up being the greatest catcher I ever had. My, I mean, in the two years that we coached, matter of fact, I got him the second year. When we were picking players, for if you ever coach Little League, you go up there and you, you know, do the numbers. 
And uh, I remember we got in there to pick. I told them, I said, I want that kid. They said, you want him? I said, I do. You can have him. So I got him again. But the point is, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Is his mom came back to me and Connie one day, and this is what she told me and her. She said, I want to thank y'all for coaching my boy in Little League. She said, y'all are the first people that's ever give him a chance. And I said, He's, I mean, to me, he was always nice and courteous and polite. But you know what it was? We just saw something in him. That's all it was. We just saw the potential in him. And honestly, I, I wish I knew what happened to him. He would be in his 20s now. He's Austin's age. But, uh, but the thing is, sometimes we just, and I, I, you know, that is an ability that I wish God would bless me with more of, is God help me to see people the way you see them, not the way I see them. Because sometimes I see them as, you know, failures or mistakes. And can I tell you, if you look over here in 1 first, first Corinthians, I was debating on whether I was going to read this verse or not, but I think I am. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote this. And Paul, of all, now, Paul was a very intelligent, educated man. But he makes this comment over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to, sh to, put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. See, God, and this is an encouragement to you tonight. You don't have to be super intelligent to be used by God. You don't have to be super talented to be used by God. You have to be willing to be used by God. And God is all about choosing the weak vessels, that's me, the weak vessels to bring him honor and glory. You know why? Because, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't use very smart people or very educated people. I mean, I love reading behind these guys. That's the ones I learn from. I'm getting God's word through the Holy Spirit and listening to these guys preach and read. I mean, it educates me. But God often uses people that don't have much to boast about simply because when he does something big through their life, God gets all the glory. Because if it was something we could do, we'd say, look what I did. But usually God uses us to do stuff we cannot do. And so he gets the glory. And so that's what's so awesome here about David. Of all the people that could have been chosen, God chose to use the little boy who was out tending the sheep. Of course, we know the fact that he was tending sheep and he had a, uh, had a history of leading sheep would also play off in him being a king of Israel. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that's why God used Moses to lead Israel out of bondage because he had an ability of leading sheep. Sheep are the one group of animals that you can't drive. You can't drive sheep. You have to lead sheep. Now, I've never owned any, but I've read behind a lot of shepherds. I've just written books about it. But like you can drive certain kinds of animals. Sheep cannot be driven. And so when David finally becomes king, Israel was in a mess. I mean, they were in a mess when the leadership was Saul. David comes in and he leads them the way they needed to go. And he gets them back on track. So I think that's pretty cool. The fact that God used a shepherd boy who had the ability and the experience of leading animals. And we all know that sheep are stupid. And you know what? We are too. Us Christians sometimes can be some pretty stupid people, can't we? We're not the smartest in the world. At least I'm not. So now let's sit here and see what Scripture says. Moving on. So when Samuel says, do you have another son? 
He says, I do have one. And then Samuel says, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And then in verse 12 says, so he went, or so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. Now that word ruddy could have meant that he had red hair or, or kind of a pale complexion, something of that nature. Uh, that word comes from the same word used to describe Esau over there, Jacob's brother in the Old Testament. But it says, with bright eyes and good looking. So even though he was the youngest, David was still a pretty good looking guy. You know, he was um, not, but, but even though Samuel put that in there, it's really significant to note that he put that in there because God's already told Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance. That's not why I chose him, you know. And so, but yet Samuel still stuck that in there. And when he came in, the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. So the question you'd have to ask is, well, why did, why did God choose David? Now, I don't remember if I can find this verse. Yeah, here it is. I went right to it. I didn't know if I had underlined it in times past or not, but I had. But if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and you'll even find this over in Acts, um, I think maybe, maybe Acts 13, I can't remember now. But if you look in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man, he's describing David, after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. He's speaking to Saul here. But we see that the reason David is chosen and anointed to be the new king of Israel because he had a heart that followed after God. That's what pleases God tonight. As we are here looking at this scripture, it pleased him then, it pleased him now, it will always please him is that when we as men and women Youth, whatever, whatever it may be age-wise, when our hearts are joined with the heart of God and our heart's desire is to please God with everything that we are, then we please the Lord. And that's what God sees. That's what He notes. It's not about what we look like on the outside. I could preach tonight in flip-flops and khaki shorts and a tank top, which I wouldn't do, but I could. And if my heart's lined up with God, it wouldn't matter how I was dressed. I would probably offend somebody by dressing that way if I stood up here. But what I'm saying is, or I could put on a three-piece suit and have a dirty heart. It, you know what I'm saying? It can go both ways. It's not about what I'm dressed like. It's about what my heart is like. That is the key issue. Now, I want you to notice here. When he comes in, notice what it says in verse 13. Or uh, let's look in verse 12 first. And it says, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now notice in verse 14, which we didn't read a while ago, but it's interesting to note that when the, when the Spirit of God came upon David, verse 14 says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. God left Saul in the position of king until he died on the battlefield. He didn't remove him. He left him there, but God's spirit did not rest on Saul anymore after that. Matter of fact, if you read on over, and we may look at that in weeks to come, that matter of fact, Saul became restless in spirit and couldn't sleep. And he, he wanted a, a musician to come and play music for him so that he could rest. And it's just interesting that David happened to be that musician who came and played before the king. That's kind of neat too. But anyway, so back and back up, 
Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Now, have you ever thought what Samuel might have said to David at this moment? The Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, David walks in. I mean, think about it. If you're David and you're walking in, all of a sudden the prophet walks up and dumps oil on your head. And that's how he would have done it. He would have poured oil over his head. You've got to have questions. You know, what is this about? You know, why'd he just, Daddy, why'd he just pour oil on my head? You know, I mean, you just, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us that. But those, again, that's where my mind goes. Like, well, what was, what, what was he thinking? You know, or, or was it something that maybe, maybe he pours some oil on his head. Maybe, I don't know this, but maybe Samuel leaned in and whispered in his ear and says, you've just been anointed the new king of Israel in due time. I don't know. I, the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know what was said. But I often wonder, was there anything that was said to David there to tell him what that was all about? Because what's really significant, and I'm, I'm really kind of getting on to my points here in just a moment, but what's really significant to me is the reason I ponder that question as to what did David know because if he did know that, that at that moment, and he had to know that something, something special, even if he didn't know that he was going to be the new king of Israel, because he knew that Samuel was the prophet, and just anybody didn't get anointed with oil. That was safe for priests and kings. And all of a sudden, you've just been anointed by the prophet Samuel. Okay, he knew who they were. He knew something significant had to be going on. So no matter what he knew, we can establish that he definitely had a heart after God. Why? Simply because when you read about David from here on over, he was a very humble young man. I mean, to go and to play music for the king, knowing possibly that you may be the next king one day. We see in the chapter over that he defeats Goliath, and he could have easily said, look at me. Look, but he didn't. I mean, there's a lot of things that we see over here when, when Saul tried to kill him for jealousy. And David so many times says, I will not shame the name of the king. I won't do it. And probably as close as he ever come to do it is when he cut the, the garment, the hem off his garment when uh, Saul was in the cave using the bathroom. And he shouldn't have done that, but he did. He cut it off and then sneaked, snuck back out. Not sneaked out, but he snuck out. And he went over there and said, hey, Saul, look what I got. You know, and Saul probably went, you know, how did you? And he's like, yeah. What he was saying is I could have killed you, but I didn't. That was probably flaunting it a little bit right there. But we don't read too much of that about David. And I think that's why God chose him because I believe he was an outstanding young man. And I'm getting off topic here just a little bit. But have you ever thought about what an awesome guy he was? He was flawed. But listen to me. I was talking about this, this to the girls in the car. David is my biblical hero. I'll tell y'all straight up. I can't. After Jesus, I want to find David. Where is that guy at? I want to meet him. Think about it. He was a poet, a musician. He started off as a shepherd. He was a warrior. I mean, he wasn't just any warrior. He was a, he was a valiant man. I mean, he was a man of valor. People were scared of David, and yet he still was the greatest king to ever lead Israel. I mean, he had a lot of good qualities. You, it's hard to find that many qualities in one man. And yet he had all of these things. So anyway, that was extra. I just thought I'd share that with y'all. But notice this here. I want you to get this. And this is where I'm going to close. And I'm closing with this thought. Back, back up into verse 10. This here is neat to me. Verse 10 says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Okay, so get this. 
There were seven sons that passed before Samuel while David was still out tending the sheep, which would have made David the eighth son. Now get this. Stay with me. Don't, don't lose me here. All right, so verse 10 gives us the idea that Jesse has eight sons. If you look in 1 Samuel 17, 12, it says, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons, and the man was old, advancing years in the days of Saul. Now, go with me to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles, and I'm reading this verse simply because I don't want there to be any confusion tonight. But if you go into 1 Chronicles chapter 2, 1 Chronicles chapter 2, go to verse 13. This has given us here, in, in the first part of this, it's given us the, the lineages here and the genealogies. And we get into chapter 2, we're talking about the family of Israel. Then we get over here and we see from Judah to David. And then we go down here into verse 13 where it says, it talks about Jesse's family. It says, Jesse begot Elab, his firstborn, Abinadab the second, Shemal the third, he's naming them all, Peter, Nathaniel the fourth, Redai the fifth, Ozum the sixth, and David the seventh. Okay. Now it seems, and then he names the two sisters that David had. But it seems here like there's a contradiction in Scripture because you go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. In two places in 1 Samuel where we just at, it says that Jesse had eight sons. And now 1 Chronicles in genealogy here says he has only seven sons. But the interesting thing is, first off is I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. Okay, I'll just go ahead and establish that point. Uh, we got two places in Samuel that says there was eight. One in Chronicles that only named seven. Here's what I'll tell you I believe. I believe that Jesse had eight sons. It is very possible that the one that's not named, because he names all of them, the same ones mentioned over here in 1 Samuel, the one that wouldn't have been named if there was another son, and I believe there was, he would have been the one one age older or one up from uh, David. In other words, it would have been David, the one we don't have a name for or any account of, and then the rest of them goes up. It's very possible that here's what happened, that there was eight sons of Jesse, including David, but it's possible that that one who's not named could have died in an accident or whatever. He would have been old enough to be a young man, but maybe not old enough to have ever done anything significant. It's kind of like, and I used this as an example talking to Connie last night about it, it's kind of like my dad right now. My dad has or had, he's got two brothers and had two sisters. He had some other brothers and sisters that died when they were born. Not many days after they were born. Some of them lived a few days, some a couple of weeks. But if you were to ask my dad a few years ago, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Now, if he had included all of them, he would have had more than what he would have told you. But if you asked him a few years ago before my two aunts passed away, he would have said, I have two brothers and two sisters. But he wouldn't have mentioned the ones that he had when he was little who died when they weren't very old. doesn't mean that they didn't exist. There was just no sense in including them. If you asked him today how many brothers and sisters you got, he'll say, I got two brothers. It's not to minimize my two sisters that have passed away. If he is in the mood to talk to you about it, he'll tell you about the two sisters that passed away with cancer or one with cancer, one with a heart attack. 
But it doesn't minimize the fact that he had two sisters. If you just come up to him and say, hey, you got any brothers and sisters? i got two brothers. That's not a lie. That's how many brothers he has. He had two sisters, but he doesn't have them anymore. And he had a couple of other brothers that died. So you get where I'm going with this? There wouldn't be a contradiction in what my dad was saying. He would be truthful on both parts. He just didn't feel the need to share the other. So I've established all that. So I believe, according to 1 Samuel, that there was eight brothers and two sisters. I said all that to say this. This is kind of cool. If you study in Scripture, numbers mean things. And I would agree with Connie. I jokingly say this sometimes that math is of the devil. And the reason I say that is because I don't like it. You know? And she's a math teacher. That's why I say it. But here's the deal. When you start taking letters and numbers and putting them together, okay, that's not godly. Okay, I'm sorry. The alphabet and numbers do not go together. I took those things in college and I passed them, but I don't know how I did outside of a lot of prayer. You're with me, Alex. So, but, but I had to admit to Connie yesterday, I said, to be honest with you, if you get to study in God's Word, God is a God of numbers. He is so significant in all the things that He has done, how He's created, what they stand for, how the world was put into existence. I mean, He is, he is math is of God. It has to be, okay? Just because I don't like it doesn't make it of the devil. But we see here, here's the interesting thing. Warren Wiersbe made this point about David being the eighth son of... In Scripture, eight... Now, numbers mean different things, and we won't get into all the numbers. We'll just focus on eight. Eight is often the number of new beginnings. That is cool. So stay with me. God used David to bring about a new beginning, both in a government form and in a spiritual form. Now, check this out. Noah was the, uh, was the eighth person, according to 2 Peter 2.5, and eight persons were saved in the ark to give a new beginning to civilization. You'll find that in 1 Peter 3.20. Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day, which gave them a new status in the nation as sons of the covenant. And the firstborns were dedicated to God on the eighth day. That comes out of Exodus 22.29-30. So when David, David being the eighth son to be the new king of Israel. As we said this morning, Saul could possibly be said as the people's choice. David was God's choice. And it's with David that he started this new beginning because it's of the lineage of David that the Messiah would come. Isn't that awesome? Man, that geeks me out, man. I tell you, I just love that stuff. Man, I love it. Look here in Isaiah real quick. Like This stuff just tickles me to death. All right, uh, let me go here. Let me find where I want to go. Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And I'll just read you the, just two passages I'm going to read and we're done. Isaiah 9, 6, for it says, For unto us a child is born, unto, a son, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. And he goes on down and says, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with justice, a judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then go with me to Acts, and this is the last place we read, and we will be done. Acts 13. 
Acts 13, verse 22, I think is where I want to go. Yes. It says, And when he had removed him, he raised him up for them. David is king. Of course, we're jumping in here. Him being removed is Saul. Uh, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. It says, And from this man's seed, according to the promise of God, raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. So, isn't that awesome? So, so when David becomes king, there's, there's a significant thing there. If God tarries and, and, and allows us to, Man, it would be cool to go back and go through the book of Ruth and how, how all that got established. And I, it just there's a lot of good stuff, how it all ties together. But tonight, I just want to close with this thought. Um, having said all that we said tonight, looked at Scripture, and just, to me, it's neat that because when we start tying stuff together, we see that God, God had a plan. And here's, here's what I want you to get, is before the world was ever formed, before anything was ever put into place, before the planets, the stars, any of those things, God knew that there would be a Saul, and he knew that he would be uh, a disappointment as far as the king goes. And that, and that didn't catch David, uh, God off guard. He already knew that, but I got David going to be the next king because of David's going to come this and this and this, and I'm going to bring in my son Jesus, going to be the Savior. He had a plan the entire time. And so it's comforting to me that when I get to studying through Scripture, and all of these things that seem like isolated events, with God you realize there are no isolated events. God is orchestrating all the time, bringing everything about. And even like everything that we see going on around us right now, God's still in control and He's still orchestrating things. And He's going to, listen, He's, gonna, he's working it up to the, uh, to the rapture of the church. It's all coming. It's going to happen. And so we could be encouraged by that tonight, but I want you to take this home with you. If you're sitting there tonight and you feel insignificant and you think, well, God can't use me. And I, Listen, God can use anybody that's willing to be used. All you got to do is be willing. Be willing to be used. Say, God, use me. But the thing is, when you say, God, use me, you got to be, be willing to be used however God wants to use you. It's not, you don't really get to pick and choose sometimes. There's been many a times in my life and I pray, God, please use me, but I'd really like to be used over there or I'd like to do this or could I do that? And God's like, but that's not what I raised you up for. But that's really what I want to do. And so you kind of have to let go of what you want to do and say, God, use me how you want to use me. And you kind of realize that when you're being used by God the way he wants to use you, it's the best way you could possibly be used. Why? Because that's where God wants you at. And you have a skill set sometimes that maybe he's blessed you with uh, that enables you to do what you do. I mean, he's the one who gave those skills to you. And if you don't use those gifts that he's given you, then you're wasting them and you're squandering them. And to ever look and say, well, I wish God had made me different, whether well, to say that is to say that God did a bad job when he made you. God made you just the way you are, just the way you are for a reason. There was a long time that I wished I could have been something different but I come to realize I am who I am because this is what God wanted me to be. And uh, the quicker you accept it, the better off you are. You may not be a Saul or you may not be a David, but you are who you are and God has got you where he's got you for a reason. Be used by God. So let us pray tonight, have our invitation.
And then we'll, I think we've got a business meeting. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight, Lord. We thank you uh, for Scripture, Lord. Oh, how it just blesses our heart as we read it and we put things together and we tie them together. And uh, Lord, and I, I, I don't understand some of them. Lord, I'm still trying to figure some of it out. And God, sometimes it blows my mind and sometimes I think the more I think I know, the less I know. But God, I'm so thankful that as I look through your word and I start piecing things together, I'm just even more encouraged than I ever was before in the thought that God, nothing catches you by surprise. Absolutely nothing. You know what's going on way before it ever happens. And God, that enables me to put my confidence, Lord, in you because I know you are in control. So God, tonight as we get ready to have this invitation, I pray, God, that we'd realize that we can put our trust in you tonight. And God, that whatever you're leading us to do, whatever area of ministry that you've called us to serve in, God, as anxious and as scared as we may be, God, if you've called us to it and we're faithful and obedient, there's no way we can fail.